Well, good morning and welcome to Real Talk. I'm Ryan Jesperson and we are thrilled uh, to have you here with us on our very first show. This is episode one. This is our inaugural broadcast. We're coming to you live. Of course, you're probably watching us right now on our YouTube channel and we're thrilled to have you here as we build something special. It feels partly like we're building something. It also feels a little bit like we're bringing a community back together. It feels good to be with you again. It feels good to be in front of a microphone again. And it feels good to be able to talk about the issues that matter right now. You've likely seen the story leading the news headlines today. If you're tuning in from Edmonton, Alberta, you've just learned that Mayor Don Iveson will not seek re-election in 2021, coming up in just under a year from now. His Worship will join us for an exclusive one-on-one right here on Real Talk, episode one, in about 14 minutes from now. Don Iveson's coming up. The other story, of course, leading the headlines is Alberta's absolutely exploding cases of COVID-19. We'll be talking to infectious diseases specialist Dr. Lenora Saxinger later on in the broadcast around 9.20. She's literally making her rounds as we speak. She'll be zooming into the show. You'll be able to catch that live again right around 9.20 this morning. You know, a show like this wouldn't happen without our sponsors, and we're grateful for our presenting sponsor. I want to tell you a little bit about Bitcoin Solutions. If you checked out our website at ryanjesperson.com, you've already seen that Bitcoin Solutions has made a big decision and a fantastic commitment to join us on this journey. Now, what do you know about cryptocurrency? Maybe not much. That's about to change in the weeks and months to come. We'll be learning a little bit more about Bitcoin. You know, it's trading at an all-time high right now. You may have seen that over the weekend. Bitcoin Solutions is a local company employing local people and it's the fastest and safest way to buy bitcoin you can find the link to their website at ryanjesperson.com real talk starts now here's ryan jesperson The big story today here in the city of Edmonton, well, as a matter of fact, there's two of them. And and when you launch a show on a Monday morning, you want to make sure you've got something to talk about. We've got lots to talk about today here on Real Talk. Before we get into what the mayor has said in making this announcement, I know a surprise to some of you based on some of the early feedback on social media. I want to let you know that we care very deeply about what you have to say Your contribution to these conversations is the whole point of this exercise. It's why we're doing what we're doing. And we want to encourage you to use the hashtag RealTalkRJ this morning. We're going to be monitoring that. And that's how we're going to be able to get a better sense of exactly where you're at with the stories that matter to you, like we said. So Mayor Don Iveson announcing this morning he will not seek re-election. And then, of course, Alberta Uh, setting the wrong kind of record over the weekend, a one-day record, a huge spike in COVID cases. Uh, Medical experts have been warning us about this for weeks, and it's manifesting itself. Let's take a look at Alberta's COVID numbers this morning. These reported just yesterday, Sunday's numbers in Alberta, 1,584 new cases. That's a single-day record. Alberta now looking at 12,195 active cases with 310 people in hospital, 60 of them in the ICU. We're going to be getting a better idea over the next couple of days about why 
ICU numbers matter. I know a lot of people will look at the number 60 and say, 60s, that's not a big deal. That's barely a blip on the radar. I mean, don't 60 people, you know, pass on from diabetes? Don't 60 people pass on from lung cancer? Don't 60 people die for other reasons in the province of Alberta every single day? So 60 people clinging to life in the ICU. I mean, really, is that number that significant? We're going to find out why it is significant. Again, coming up around 9.20 this morning, and and I'm telling you it's around 9.20 because Dr. Lenora Saxinger is making her rounds right now, and we've been extremely clear to to her in stating the obvious that if the hospital needs her, if her patients need her, we have a contingency plan. We have plan B, and we're going to be able to uh, certainly move this show on if she needs to stay on her duties at the hospital. But if she's able to join us, she's going to paint a very clear picture as to why 60 Albertans in the ICU is a big deal. I want to let you know as well, coming up tomorrow on the show, we're going to be sitting down with ICU doctor Darren Markland uh, out of the Royal Alexandra Hospital. He'll be giving us a clear idea as well of why ICU numbers matter and what Alberta's ICU capacity looks like. Physicians right now, pictures speaking thousands of words. You've probably seen this image already. I wanted to put this in front of you to paint a clear picture, I think, of how Alberta's medical professionals are feeling right now. Boy, does this image ever say something. Leah Hennel snapping this phenomenal photo this is a physician, uh, Dr. Simon demers Marcel. He's a, an intensive care doctor out of the Peter Lougheed Center. He's on the phone there with a family. He's letting them know that a loved one is passed on from COVID-19. You can see his body language. You can see, you can feel it, can't you? The stress that he's under. You can imagine what a phone call like that is like. And, of course, we can only assume that once he hangs up that phone, he's back to his patients. He's back to the ones on ventilators. He's back to the ones that are arriving in hospital. These aren't just Alberta's senior citizens. And we've created some strange culture, haven't we, where we've almost, in dialogue with one another, justified some sort of lackadaisical approach to COVID-19 because it's the elderly that are most susceptible here of the deaths Albertans experienced over the weekend, not numbers, people, one of them, a young girl in her twenties. We're going to be exploring these stories and talking about this. Many people expecting a lockdown today. What will the Alberta government do? The hashtag, where is Kenny trending over the weekend? And we're going to take that story on coming up a little later on in this broadcast. Again, Real Talk RJ is the hashtag we encourage you to use, and we'll be getting to your comments a little later on in the show. Now, it's big news here in Edmonton. Some of you I know saying told you so because I'm seeing it on Twitter here. I'm seeing you claim that you knew who our very first guest was going to be on the program. And for those of you that guessed it was going to be Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson, uh, congratulations to you. Earlier this morning, just about an hour ago, the mayor releasing a statement he will not seek re-election in the 2021 municipal elections. Uh, writing his worship as part of the statement released, there remains considerable work to do in the balance of council's term. Keep in mind, Mayor Iveson, and we'll be talking to him in about seven minutes from now, 
letting us know he won't seek re-election with about a year's worth of runway. Now, the mayor goes on to say this complex, ever-evolving work, and he's going to talk to us about that, what he forecasts as a tough budget, news to nobody, with the goal of no tax increase, supporting and attracting new jobs and investment to the metro Edmonton region, making the most of economic opportunities that come with a low-carbon future. It's arriving, whether you like it or not. And tackling systemic racism in our institutions, writes the mayor, this complex, ever-evolving work demands thoughtful, compassionate, and constructive civic leadership. He says that's why next fall's election will be pivotal and why mayor feels it's important to give people who may be considering a run time and notice to make their plans. Don Iveson will be joining us in just a moment. Right now, I want to introduce you to the producer of this program. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and you can see here Mayor Don Iveson joining us here in studio, uh, Sam Brooks is the senior producer of Real Talk. And, and Sam, before we officially welcome his worship to episode number one of Real Talk, I want our audience to have a chance to meet you. Why don't you go ahead and say hey, hello hey, to our audience? Yeah. How are you feeling today? This Ooh. bird is flying. We are now live. This has all become very real. It, it's become, yeah, uh, man, like yesterday I was uh, pulling my hair out when and we, you know, we're on our third computer and second mixing board trying to get this place set up. Yeah. Uh, it's been a it's been a wild week, but I'm really excited to be here. I'm, I'm yeah, this is a this is a super exciting opportunity. And, and I've yeah, I've always been wanted to be part of a live show. This is fantastic. Well, Sam, uh, you know, I, I, the audience is going to get to know you in, in the days, weeks, months, and, and I hope years to come. And we're grateful to have you here as part of the team. Let's officially welcome the very first guest here on episode one of Real Talk. Uh, and, and we're going to drop down uh, Mayor's uh, headphone volume just a tiny little bit, Sam. We're going to do all this live, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to hear us uh, the behind-the-scenes stuff. The curtain's going to be ripped wide open here on Real Talk as we keep it real, uh, but we want to make sure that Mayor Iveson is comfortable here. We're grateful to have you here in studio. Do I do I say congratulations on this morning's announcement? I imagine something like this comes with, uh, do I say sleepless nights, months and months worth? Sam, we're going to make sure. We're just going to get uh, Mayor Iveson's mic live here. Can you hear it? How are you feeling? Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I mean, it's been a big decision. I've been thinking about it for, uh, well, all the way back. You know, the question was always with Sarah and I, how long would we do this for? And uh, obviously, subject first and foremost to the will of the people. And I'm so grateful to have had their trust uh, twice as mayor and twice as city councilor before that. And uh, so um, first with a lot of gratitude for for being vested with the responsibility of leading this community. Uh, so it's, it's a lot to contemplate, um, not pursuing that again. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, there were some sleepless nights, but uh, I slept pretty well last night. I was excited to wake up this morning. I wasn't quite sure what to expect. The initial reaction's been overwhelming. My phone is blowing up, as they say. And um, so it feels good to have it out there so that now uh, the community can can make decisions people can uh, who are thinking about running can can make their plans now uh, and um, and people can also be assured that my singular focus is not planning for an election next fall my singular focus is leading this city right to the very end through the most challenging times any of us can remember you know you, there, there's an interesting thing uh, that, that I think pundits uh, you know attempt to observe and certainly the public will notice no doubt and, and that's when a politician 
uh, announces they will not seek re-election, it can go in one of two directions, right? The politician uh, has a chance to either make an impact in a way that they might not otherwise be able to make. Uh, I I hate to put it as you've got nothing to lose, uh, but that's quite a fact. You can really move aggressively and with intent and put your stamp on these next 12 months, or in some cases, there are the politicians that mail it in. They're done. They're about to be put out to pasture. Now, I know that's not you. You're, you're a young guy. But how does your leadership change as a result of this morning's announcement? Well, I, I hope it won't in the sense that, you know, I've always been a workaholic and, and perhaps to a fault, but, but committed to this work and committed to this city. And if anything, I think I'm going to feel more urgency to lock down some things that we've been working hard on for a long time. Uh, you know, implementing the city's uh, new city plan, for example, um, uh, implementing the bus network redesign, um, some key economic development work we're trying to elevate with our neighbors right now. So I think if anything, I'm going to feel more urgency uh, to get things done. And I just it's it's really handy to not be distracted by worrying about uh, next fall's election, or at least, I mean, I'm worried about it as a citizen, uh, as we all should be concerned with it, but, uh, but I won't be playing the same kind of role in it that I have in the last two or four, depending how you count. Does, does a guy like you participate in conversations with, with legitimate candidates uh, for the mayor's office, uh, candidates that would never seek, I don't think, to defeat you as an incumbent, in other words, candidates or potential candidates that you would have their support, but now you think are ready to emerge? And, and if so, do those conversations have any sort of an impact in the sense that you feel that this may be an opportunity to pass on the baton to somebody who, who may share your maybe big picture perspectives on, on, on running a city? Well, that would be nice, but uh, at the end of the day, the decision's up to you know me and 972,000 other people. Uh, give or take. So, um, so I think that there's an opportunity to to work with people who are uh, interested candidates, and I've chatted with a few people, and some of them have uh, have been public about their their intentions, and some of them haven't been. And the the one thing I'll say is that I think nomination day is a long way off, and if you look back to what the race looked like eight years ago today, uh, people had a very different sense of how it was going to go than it did. So. I think it's very fluid still, and uh, I expect there'll be lots more conversations like that, and uh, um, and they'll be different because people won't be tiptoeing around. So what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I say, well, I haven't decided. Yeah, and so now we can have real conversations. Yeah, real talk as yeah, it were. Uh, Congratulations, uh, by the way. Thank you. I'm so thrilled that you're back on the air. Uh, people were anticipating this. It was fun to watch the build up to this, and I'm very grateful that you. Uh, uh, were kind enough to let me come and make uh, today's big news, you know, part of your first show and welcome back. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I saw a tweet this morning that said something along the lines of, of, of Jesperson's back on the same morning that Mayor Don Iveson announces that he's done. Well, and I'm we, not done. We want yet, to be careful right? how we frame this. You've still got a year's worth. Of, and, and, exactly. And, 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 and quite frankly, Mayor, we're going to, and we're well, grateful. It's not that you, a terminal diagnosis. It's not either. a terminal like, diagnosis. There's a life and, after this. And, 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 and I'm not kind. sure that I believe, I, w- I don't think I would believe anybody that might forecast that, that politics is going to be completely done with you. And I've got a whole bunch of questions about the next provincial election. I've got a bunch of questions about 
about the federal election, and we're going to get to those, Mayor. But I know that you participate. Is your phone going absolutely nuts this morning, by it the is, way? It is. Here, whose phone it do you, Well, it's no. Whose do you think is going crazier? I'd be curious. Wouldn't that be fun if we could have the phones on parallel right now? It's a now? big day for you. It's a big day for me. It is, and we're grateful to have you here. Uh, you participated, I know, in an emergency advisory committee meeting uh, just a few days ago on Thursday. Dr. Michael Zakari was speaking uh, to you, uh, the medical officer of health uh, here in the Edmonton zone, about policy decisions and otherwise. Your general sense during and after that meeting was what? I am very concerned about the pandemic situation. And um, quite frankly, if today <laughs> hadn't been the first day of your show and if we hadn't sort of choreographed this out, uh, the timing's a little odd, I'll, I'll grant in that, uh, given the scale of the challenge we're facing. But in a way, given what I've said, which is 100% true, that my focus is going to be getting the city through this pandemic and the economic situations, at least while that's my job for the next almost a year, uh, so, so I am really concerned, especially just even the last couple of days. But, um, you know, we all became sort of armchair or many of us became kind of armchair epidemiologists back in March when we were at home and sitting and trying to learn how pandemics work. And so I, I don't I don't claim to be an expert, but having spoken to infectious disease experts from the university and other people who have a public health background, I mean, I was starting to become very concerned a week ago and started to say, you know, uh, as gently as possible uh, uh, to our public, uh, to our neighbors in the region here and to the provincial government that I think stronger measures are required. And I, I think the numbers continuing to rise indicate that the measures that are in place are not adequate to the task yet. And, and then, of course, you know, politics being what it is these days and the level of anxiety being what it is and the degree of polarization we see in the world being what it is. Uh, you know, people hear that as, well, then he wants a lockdown and he's going to destroy the economy. And I'm just so tired of that degree of polarization, which is not a contributing factor uh, in and of itself to, to today's announcement for me. But, but what I want to say is that I think that there are a series of ratcheting measures that could have been put in um, uh, before that could have leveled things off and then not required a lockdown. But the longer this goes the deeper the restrictions are going to have to be. And I want to avoid that for the sake of our fragile economy. So I still think there's some finesse here and I don't have the right data or the mandate to make those decisions on my own, uh, nor does city council uh, or city administration. That said, if it falls to us at this point, the conversations I'm having with the other mayors in the region is what does a regional state of emergency look like and coordinated response uh, to limit uh, uh, contact and limit transmission. Now, I'm hopeful that that in the next uh, uh, little while we're going to see stronger measures coming from the province, which has a clearer mandate, has better data, uh, and has the ability to do this all at once rather than me having to have 12 conversations with other mayors about harmonized measures. But I'm prepared to do that and have been laying the ground for that. Uh, what would that timeline look like? What, what, what would be the impetus to you to, to, to take that step and to make that decision? At what point do you say, all right, well, we've scheduled another emergency advisory committee meeting for Friday, and the conversation with the with the mayors, and I understand through our senior officials, our city and town and county managers, uh, is that we're tracking towards um, potentially um, making some decisions around this by Friday if there aren't uh, other measures put in place in the meantime. 
Uh, we're talking to Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson. Uh, the tweets are starting to come in at Real Talk RJ. That's the hashtag that we're following this morning. Uh, Sam, why don't we uh, go ahead and recognize one of the other partners here, one of the uh, the groups that we're really excited to have supporting us here on the show this morning. You know, St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge has been with us through this entire journey, and it's been a journey to get this show on the air uh, right now. I can tell you that we're grateful to have St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge offering us their support. I don't have to tell you it's getting cold outside. The roads are starting to get nuts. Maybe if you want to see the mayor's head explode in just a second, I'll ask him about snow plows and windrows and snow clearing budgets. Budget talk starts today. If the plows haven't hit your street yet, let me tell you, a 2020 Jeep Grand Cherokee is a hell of a way to get yourself to work. That's what I'm driving right now, and I'm thrilled with the service that I'm receiving from the team at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. These guys, Scott and his team, understand community. They understand a commitment to their customers, and their relationship does not stop when they sign off on that sale. It's a customer service relationship that they've been proud of for many years. If you're looking to get into the SUV or 4x4 market, I encourage you to check out St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. An exclusive one-on-one with Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson, uh, who's joining us here in studio this budget. You know, I've been I've, I've been talking to some people I'm sure you have as well. I'm not going to start dragging them into this and dropping their names, but there are people that I think would have a real shot at the mayor's office if they wanted to. But nobody wants to deal with what the budget's going to look like over the next five to ten years. Tell me about this exercise that you and your council colleagues are about to undertake. So we do, so we do a, a, a four-year budget, um, and we're entering the third year of the... F- current four-year cycle and so we're not going to go back to sort of a blank sheet of paper there's uh, there's a ton of work done Um, but normally what we would do in the three off years is sort of nips and tucks on the budget but that is not what we're doing this year and we made some significant changes last year um, and or actually in the spring uh, that affected this year's taxes and allowed us to reduce what we were asking people and particularly business to pay. We managed to get businesses down to zero uh, for uh, for 2020. And now we're going to try to get business and residential down to zero. And and every year people say, no tax increase, no tax increase, no tax increase. And, um, and there's a reason why you can't deliver that every year, because no tax increase means no coverage even for inflation. Uh, or the growth pressures that the city faces. And, and you know, there was a recent report that the auditor brought forward about the pressures the city's balance sheet is under after 20 years of adding 50% to the population of the city, pretty much, uh, going from the lowest cost to the highest cost jurisdiction uh, in, in the country and in what's happened in the Alberta economy and cost of doing business over that time. And there was this period of doing nothing and austerity and some 0% tax increases back in the 90s that caused the city to start to fall apart. And when people complain about the roads and for a long time said, you know, why can't we have another rec center and so on and so forth, there was a lot of catching up to do. So so now we find ourselves in a situation where uh, in light of the pandemic and the economic uh, pressures that were there before that have been made worse by the pandemic, um, the right thing to do is to try to level things off for people, which I think we can do for one year. Some people will now say, well, if you could do it once, you can do it forever. That will just dig the kind of hole that this city dug for itself in the 90s. And after, you know, for me anyway, 13 years of digging up and making this the kind of city that can compete 
uh, for for talent and investment again in a way that it couldn't, uh, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, I, I don't want to see us go down that road. But in these economic conditions, it's the right thing to do. Um, but it won't come without some pain. There will be facility closures. There are going to be uh, some job losses, though most of those will be able to handle through vacancies, attrition, and packages. So, uh, um, and, But there will also be some impacts to service levels as well. And so it's, it's going to be a very challenging budget, uh, but I think it's the right goal. Uh, I, I think people should not be under the impression that it's easy to do every year. Um, but council will start those deliberations in earnest, and and uh, I think we'll land in a just and fair place for people. Yeah, I've had uh, remarkably candid conversations uh, with Reeves, mayors, community leaders in, in both rural and urban communities across the province, and, and I think exasperation might be understating how some of them are feeling about many of the costs that have been downloaded onto municipalities. And, and quite frankly, I think some of them would, would probably put it as responsibilities that have been abdicated uh, and that have become their problem. Uh, how would you characterize the city of Edmonton or municipalities' uh, relationships? And then I know we're going to talk a little bit about regional collaboration here. You're the chair of the Big City Mayor's Caucus. I mean, you have a perspective that certainly extends outside the metro Edmonton region. But the current relationship, fiscally or otherwise, uh, between municipalities, this municipality, and the province? Well, the, the provincial government has... Uh, made significant cuts to our infrastructure funding, and I understand why, and that, that was well communicated. And notwithstanding that that stability for those funds was an election promise that was broken, not just to Edmonton, but to every local elected official in and and citizen in the province. Um, but but we understood why, um, and and legislation that was in place with the city charters was repealed and replaced by new legislation, which hasn't been proclaimed yet interestingly enough. So that legislation is supposed to give us certainty to plan. But we've more recently heard indications from the province, and we recognize that they're in the worst fiscal shape they've been in in, in ever of our lifetimes. So, so I, I get that there's real pressure there. Um, but there's now uncertainty again about further cuts coming on infrastructure. Now, that may all come out in the wash because I think federal stimulus may be sufficient to, to carry us through on that. So there's going to be a major reordering of the fiscal structure between all orders of government. I think that's, we've all been saying that needs to happen for a long time, and I think the pandemic is going to uh, bring it to the fore now, um, which is not a bad thing, and that may be something I'm interested in in working on, you know, in life after this, because I'm quite passionate that I don't think we've given our cities and local governments the tools we need to drive success, drive investment, drive economic growth, and reward municipalities for doing that work, because property tax doesn't really... Um, uh, catch the uplift. What would work? work what's what's do. the one tool you'd love to have in the toolbox? Well, I think any mix of taxes that uh, actually grow more directly with the economy, whether they're income or whether they're consumption taxes, and then a share of those. Um, and the federal gas tax is not a bad proxy for this because the federal government transfers a predictable and growing amount every year. Uh, and we're talking to the federal government about actually hitching that to to the rise in federal revenues from, from one year to the next. That was kind of the, the city charter fiscal framework deal that we had um, previously before the legislation was 
repealed, which was essentially a revenue sharing deal with the with the government of Alberta. So as we seek to grow prosperity in Alberta, we would get a piece of that with some certainty. And I thought legislation would kind of protect us until the legislation gets repealed. So I think you need stronger protections even than that. And potentially, and this is a scary thing to say in Canada, it's a constitutional conversation about the legitimacy and predictability and empowerment of local governments. Now, not everybody's ready to go there, but maybe after the pandemic, we can have a serious conversation about creating success for our cities and local governments across this country um, and and I'm, I'm game for that uh, and and have a lot to say about it you know David Kahn's announced that uh, he's going to be stepping down as a leader of the Alberta we, Liberal Party we did Party. not coordinate that you just didn't coordinate that announcement I wonder if he knew you were getting set to announce he wanted to scoop the headlines on you of course uh, the Alberta Party also uh, I think right now under the leader the interim leadership of, of former MLA Jackie Fenske and a lot of people I've seen it this morning are speculating uh, that there might be a, a, a plum uh, spot right there on the political spectrum in Alberta for, for I don't know, a couple of high-profile former mayors, Iveson and Nenshi, and, and maybe others to band together and really make some noise with enough time uh, to mobilize pretty significant support for 2023. Have you ruled out provincial politics well, that's always the that's always the way the question is asked. If you ruled it out, I'd be silly to rule anything out. But I, I really need to be crystal clear that I don't have plans of any kind to run for anything. Um, my job right now and my singular focus on it is uh, to deliver the city through the pandemic and the economic challenges that we're facing right now. And what what comes afterwards, there'll be a lot of conversations about that. Many people have already mapped out my entire future for me without ever meeting me or talking to me about it. So speculation will abound. But my first priority uh, is and remains this city. We're talking to Edmonton's Mayor Don Ivis in a one-on-one -on -one exclusive here on episode one of Real Talk. On the heels of his announcement this morning, he will not seek re-election next fall. That means that the mayor's race is wide open. And maybe we'll talk about some of the front runners in the second half of this interview coming up right now. Let's talk about who's supporting us on our journey. You know, we're big on grassroots companies. We're big on local companies that become pretty significant employers that make noise in their communities for all the right reasons and that keep their communities clean. And that's why we're excited to have the team at Local Waste supporting us here on Real Talk. This is an independent organization that's owned and operated by local companies and they're taking on faceless multinational garbage corporations. That's a thing. And they've been in the business for a long time, more than 25 years of experience here in the Metro Edmonton region. If you want to hear more about how a partnership with local waste might make sense for your locally owned business, get this, the ownership group wants you to call them directly, Chris and Lauren Labossier at 780-242-9746. And I'm also very excited to let you know that Fridays, here on Real Talk, we'll be presenting a feature segment, Trash Talk, brought to you by Local Waste, and it's going to be fueled by your feedback. If you have something to say, we want you to send us an email at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Let us know what matters to you. It's 9 o'clock. Why don't we take a quick look at what's leading the headlines? Well, of course, our guest uh, here in studio, Mayor Don Iveson, announcing this morning he won't seek re-election after two terms. 
It means that Edmonton, of course, will see a new mayor next fall. Who will it be? Time will tell. Now we can begin that speculation game. The mayor putting his priorities in front of Edmontonians as part of a statement this morning, delivering more housing, ending chronic homelessness. We're going to talk about that, an ambitious plan, tackling systemic racism, police accountability, economic opportunities with a low-carbon future and more. Plus, Toronto, it's locked down as of this morning. Quebec, with more than 1,100 new cases, but it was Alberta leading the country, setting the record you don't want to see. Over the weekend, hundreds in hospital, at least 60 in ICU, 1,584 new cases of COVID-19 in Alberta. Meantime, a COVID-19 vaccine being developed by the University of Oxford and British pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca found to have an average efficacy rate of 70% following a large-scale trial, and that's something we'll follow. Andrew Pollard, a professor and director of the Oxford Vaccine Group, uh, he's the chief investigator of the Oxford Vaccine Trial, says the results show, quote, we have an effective vaccine that will save many lives. Those are the stories we're keeping an eye on this morning uh, as we hang out with Edmonton's Mayor Don Ivis, I want to thank you for joining us in studio. It's, 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 a, bit, it's a bit of a different experience. Typically, as you walked in the room, uh, I would have uh, risen to greet you. We would have shaken hands. Instead, you walk in, my producer's wearing a mask. I think, I think, I think a hug would have been in order. I think a hug would, a have, hug been would have been in order. Point. It's a big day. <laughs> but it, it's certainly the first time that I've had anyone I work with point a digital thermometer at your forehead when you walk in the room. And then, uh, of course, the hand sanitizer. We've got a plexiglass barrier in between us. It's 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 really part of a new normal. Uh, I was watching a, a show last night on TV with my wife, and, and two people came together and shook hands, and it, it kind of jarred us for a, for a moment. Uh, Sam, do we have that map of Canada that shows where the mandatory mask bylaws are in place? This by provincial order. I think that this will paint a bit of a picture. Look at this. Alberta uh, is on an island here. Uh, Alberta, of course, uh, you can see. Uh, Mayor, I'm not sure I even need to show you the map because you know exactly what that is are you concerned that this is sending a, a message maybe that's incongruous with the alberta that you know to the rest of canada what's your reaction when you see that picture of that map well you see the broader context um and one of the things that that is special about edmonton is that we are you know the gateway to the north and that comes with a lot of things including being an education and trade center but it also means we're the healthcare center for northern Canada and it's one of the reasons why we have uh, the hospitals that we have here and the professionals that we have here and the research that we have here and the economic opportunity around health and bio and AI big data and 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 health is because we are that healthcare center but it also means we're on the front lines um, even more so than some other communities with uh, what this pandemic is going to mean it, particularly if it remains unchecked or insufficiently checked uh, and so having lots of friends in the system either public health folks at the U of A or or uh, nurses doctors frontline people and every Edmontonian's kind of one degree of separation from someone who who doesn't just make a living but saves lives in our healthcare system every day. And those people are absolutely at the edge of their rope now. And, and um, so that's one of the reasons why um, uh, Edmonton and Calgary took leadership positions back in the summer 
to try to get ahead of, uh, of the virus. And in particular, um, masks and face coverings. At that time, the imperative was really about trying to put whatever we could in place to keep workplaces safe. And whether they're, you know, public transit uh, or city rec centers or libraries, or whether it's the grocery store or whether it's the hospital emergency room, um, making sure that that extra layer of protection is in there to allow public services and the economy to stay open for as long as possible. Um, Can I interrupt for a second? You know, I'm, I'm hearing this, you know, I, I, I think that some people for political reasons or otherwise, have created this false dichotomy where I have to make a choice, right? Uh, they've tried to convince us that we have to make a choice between the health of the economy and the health of the population. Mm -hmm. You know, dead people, people on ventilators, don't contribute to the economy. And a healthy economy demands a healthy population. Are you concerned about some of the manipulative measures that you see at play? I, I think... Sadly, um, the sense of solidarity that we all had early in the pandemic has has eroded. Not not everywhere, but but in different places. Um, I think I think too much of what's happened in the United States, which the United States is now correcting from or doing its best to correct from, has washed over into the political discourse here in this country. Sadly, um, and, and so yes, I I I. I'm sad about all of that, but um, I, I agree with your point that not just um, when families are reeling from loss and not just when um, uh, there are direct implications to COVID, but the anxiety that's felt out there generally, I think is now made worse uh, if the situation continues to deteriorate in terms of the counts that we're seeing. So businesses can be open, but what I'm hearing from businesses is that um, employees are nervous about coming to work. Bosses uh, and, and employers and managers are concerned about the welfare of their employees and their patrons, and some, many of them are starting to choose to close proactively and take advantage of the significant federal aid for employees and for businesses that's been put in place. Um, because they don't want to contribute to that anxiety and they're not seeing customers coming because of that anxiety out there in the marketplace. So in that sense, um, taking strong measures to uh, flatten the curve again may be the most important thing we can do for the economy. So I think there is a both and here. Uh, and Does the province of Alberta need to lock down today? I, I'm not sure that we, well, here's the, here's the, this is the thing, is the word lockdown has polarized people as well. We didn't have a lockdown in the spring. You could still go to the grocery store. You could still go outside. You know, we didn't have the kind of movement restrictions and curfews that you see in other places. And, and it worked. Um, if you want to go to zero cases for a long period of time, you have to do those measures. And, and I'm not suggesting that's what we should do because uh, I don't have the data to support whether that's what's necessary. I do think that substantial restrictions uh, on gatherings, um, uh, which is to say essentially none should be happening right now. I cannot believe there are still weddings happening right now, for example. So I think there should be substantial restrictions on large gatherings because each one of those can be a super spreader event. And the likelihood of it being such is way higher because the amount of virus that's out in the community and the number of people who may be asymptomatic in this situation. So uh, I think there should be drastic restrictions, I think, uh, short of a lockdown. But again, the longer we wait, the, the closer we're going to need to go to to the draconian end of the spectrum. So I hope there will be stronger measures and I hope they will come today. How would you like to see stronger measures enforced? I mean, you know, hypothetically, as an example, would you like to see peace officers involved in enforcing 
these types of uh, measures that you're describing? 100% yes. I mean, right now, um, police are able to do that and public health officials are able to do that. And in the spring, peace officers were able to do it. But right now, a peace officer can um, give a group of people not wearing masks on the transit system. There could be 100 people um, linked arms on the transit system not wearing masks. They can get a mask ticket, but they can't issue a ticket for uh, breaking the gathering restrictions. So um, now most of the time you'd ask nicely, and most times people do the right thing, but it's it helps to be backed up by here's a fine if you're not taking this serious. And the problem is people not taking it seriously is one of the reasons why we're in the situation we're in, but also having the right measures in place and being able to educate and enforce them very clearly and decisively uh, would be helpful. So we continue to ask to have uh, that delegated authority uh, returned to the peace officers of municipalities across the province. Oh, we're sitting down, obviously, with uh, His Worship Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson, who, who announced, uh, well, less than a couple of hours ago, he will not seek re-election uh, next fall, the 2021 municipal election. You must be good, conf- you know, you must have good confidence that, that there's a solid candidate that has a chance. I know you give a rip about this city, and I know that you have concern about some of those that are rumored to run and what a city might look like under their leadership. Uh, are you going to be offering an official endorsement? Is there a candidate that you've identified that will have your unequivocal support? Um, not yet. And, and I'm not sure if I will. It, will. it will depend how the race unfolds. And I think, again, we're a long way from nomination day. What I will say right now is that um, the choice of mayor is very important, obviously. But the choice of a thoughtful and compassionate and constructive council uh, that can work with uh, a thoughtful, compassionate, and constructive mayor or can save the city from the opposite kind of mayor is actually just as if not more important. In the way our governance works, um, uh, the council really does hold uh, the ultimate power. The mayor is just one vote. You have a lot of influence, but formally to get things done, you need a a great council. And I think that uh, there are a number of strong councillors who are gonna be running again. There are a number of really exciting people putting their name forward. And again, I'm not gonna get into naming names today, but I'm actively talking and, and mentoring with some folks who I think would be phenomenal additions to city council and future mayors uh, uh, in their own right. So I think getting the council right is actually the most critical decision and making sure that council does not get um, uh, taken over by special interests with dark money under the new rules that have come into place, the, the PACs and, and uh, some of the other changes to legislation. But I don't think Edmontonians have ever fallen for slate politics or sort of agenda-based politics. I think you want, I think what we need more than anything else are free thinkers from a variety of different philosophical backgrounds, but who owe nothing to any political party or to any industry or set of backers or special interests um, to come and represent community. Those have always been the most effective and impactful city councillors. And when you put a bunch of them together, that's the beauty of this form of government, is you actually get something broadly reflecting the different perspectives you see in the community and a group of people actually having a conversation, which we so desperately need in public life, is functional discourse. And so we need a strong city council, and, um, and uh, if we get a mayor who can really lead them forward, um, then we'll be even better off.
I feel like if we were launching this show with with surrounded by rich mahogany and and overstuffed leather chairs, functional discourse might have been a better name for the program as opposed to real talk. We are that'll, that'll be my though. podcast. <laughs> that'll be your podcast. We'll go head to head mornings at eight thirty. Uh, Don Ivison, our oh, guest. Thank God, I need I need another gig too. Yeah, yeah. Sam, this, Sam this is just part time. Yeah, that's right. Mayor will dangle more cash in front of you. No, Sam, I want the afternoon slot. I don't do mornings. Well, hey, who knows? You might maybe you'd be a nice fit with what we're building here, uh, Mayor. I want to ask you about some polling that was pushed out about a month ago, uh, unflattering to any incumbent. I think, but but let's let's talk about polling and political lifespans and public sentiment. It was a Leger poll uh, for Post Media that uh, showed that about thirty percent of Edmontonians, at least those that responded to the survey, believe that yourself, twelve city councillors, your colleagues on council, deserve to be reelected uh, about a year out from the twenty twenty one municipal election. How much do you care about polling? What did that say to you? And what do political lifespans look like in municipal governance? Well, the the poll was fine. The reporting was a little bit. Can I swear? Yeah, I, oh, you, you can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> no, I, I take I took real issue with the headline which torqued um, uh, the poll because the poll showed that uh, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but um, there was a large undecided number, and I think there was a large undecided number because the question was, would you reelect the mayor and council? And the problem is that's two different questions sure. mashed together into one. Um, and asking during a pandemic, sure, you know, so you're going to get a higher undecided number. Um, uh, but of the decideds, which was 69%, um, 55% of the 69% uh, would reelect, which are the kind of approval numbers that provincial and federal governments would, would kill for. And yet it still got reported as a bad news story when that's actually a little bit higher than other numbers I've typically seen. When you ask a composite of all of council, what's the approval? Mid-50s is actually pretty good. So somehow that got torqued into, you know, everything's awful, and and that pissed me off because it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's, that's, I mean, I get why that happens. It's a better story if you can put a everything's on fire headline, but, but uh, this is fine, and there's actually not flames behind you because City Hall... Uh, can't please everybody, but relatively speaking, has the confidence of the public. You see it in the COVID polling, you see it in all the other polling that across this country, uh, and this is always the case, unless there's been a local scandal, you have uh, Canadians trusting local government the most, usually the province second, and usually the feds third, because it's so abstract and far away what the federal government does. And so this the, the, the issue here is this narrative that local governments uh, are in trouble or incompetent um that i mean that doesn't actually bear out when you go talk to people there's and the best antidote for this is knocking on doors and you find out that most people are either reasonably happy and grateful to live in a wonderful city like this or they have a very legitimate question about something that's that's not right from their perspective and their quality of life that you can either help them fix on a great day or you can give them an answer for why it's that why couldn't we run buses to every bus stop every five minutes well here's why okay thank you for that answer people will take thoughtful and contextual answers um, and then there's there's people you can never please in in every situation but I believe really firmly that local governments and this narrative that there's something wrong with them I think is is upside down and and it, and Canadians see through that Edmontonians see through that and are we perfect absolutely not but we wear all our mistakes publicly they're audited transparently it's one of the reasons why it looks like there's trouble but there's that what you're seeing is actually the accountability at work and it's why it's magic and local governments should be given more to do delegated more authority and responsibility because i think we get way more done for way less money 
in ways that are immediately responsive, transparent, and accountable to people. And so I'll always be, even though, you know, I'm going to get misty thinking about it here, but like, even though my time will come to a close, I will always be a champion of uh, the importance of our local democracies and local governments and what they can do. They're not perfect, but they're pretty good uh, compared to uh, compared to everything else. We're not uh, beholden to commercial break schedules, so I can extend interviews, quite frankly, for as long as I want. I certainly respect your time, and I know it's a busy day. Yeah, we can keep going we, for can, a bit. Can we keep going for a few minutes? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we have infectious disease specialist, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, who's, who's just coming off rounds, and she's going to be exhausted, and we're so grateful she's going to join us, and we won't leave her in the bullpen too long. But but I, I just I want to ask you a few more questions. She probably has more important things to say than me. I mean, me, no, so. no offense, but she probably does. <laughs> yeah, no, right now, <laughs> but, honestly, I want to hear from her. But, but so. Mayor, you talk about being misty-eyed, and like, like, how are you feeling? I mean, your wife, Sarah, and your two kids that, that I know you absolutely adore, and you've, you've probably not been able to see them as much as you'd like, and, and it's been a hell of a journey, and it's been a huge commitment. Let's get personal. I mean, how are you feeling? Well, it's a big day, you know. Um, I mean, Sarah and I have been talking about this for a long time, and we had only ever really thought, you know, two, two terms, eight years, uh, would be what we would do. I mean, I did give some some thought to a third term, serious thought, and even during the pandemic, I thought, boy, you know, um, maybe that makes sense. But in the end, you know, it's the right decision for for us. Uh, Dexter and Alice are eleven and eight, and but I told them yesterday, I said, you know, okay, here's what's here's what's happening tomorrow, and you guys should know. And and I remember that you know four years ago, Alice was still pretty small, but but Dexter was old enough to be part of the family decision to run again. And uh, so there's a bit of loss for them. I mean, I, I don't think it hurts on the playground that their dad's the mayor. But, sure. but, um, uh, but you know, this work has always been about them. For Sarah and I both, the work that we've done in the community has been, you know, literally about building a better city for our kids. But, but figuratively, it's been about building the kind of city that... Um, that our kids and other kids will want to choose into the future, giving this city a fighting chance to compete for talent and investment, including the people who are already here, who when we were growing up, so many of our friends left because they just didn't see that potential in this place. And, and so our work has been about changing that. And I think, it, I think we've moved it somewhat. Uh, time will tell if we, if we moved it far enough. Um, but yeah, so I mean, one of the nice things about the pandemic, though, has been uh, there are a lot fewer events to go to in the yeah. evening. And, uh, and I miss that connectivity to community and the advice and the perspective that I get and that just extraordinary friendships that I've made uh, through public life and leadership in this city, which is full of phenomenally kind and generous and creative and entrepreneurial people. Uh, who I've learned so much from, but not seeing as much of those people over the last eight, nine months has given me a chance to have more dinners at home mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the kids and Sarah uh, in, in eight months than in the eight years before. So I will look forward to, to that change of pace for sure. You, you talk to any uh, political leader, most especially one that, is, that has achieved re-election and had a, a meaningful amount of time uh, to uh, create some form of a legacy and typically you won't hear politicians use the word legacy themselves at least not publicly but I know a big part of the legacy at least I can assume that a big part of the legacy that you would endeavor uh, to be remembered by as Edmonton's mayor would be around homelessness and you've gone so far as not only to support former mayor Stephen Mandel's idea right that Edmonton could end homelessness in 10 years you put it out there that Edmonton might be able to accomplish that in 10 weeks. Now, by my math, I think that was about 
10 weeks ago, approximately, when you said that. Um, obviously, homelessness is still an issue here in the city of Edmonton. As, as, as you get set to take a look at the next 12 months as mayor and impact change there, and then see someone else take over, how would you evaluate where Edmonton's at on the homelessness file? Well, in those last 10 weeks, uh, we were able to do three fairly transformational things that don't give everyone the permanent housing that they deserve and would get us better outcomes in terms of reduced interaction for vulnerable people with the um, justice and health systems. Um, But uh, we are starting to get the benefits from there's essentially room for everybody at the inn now, uh, at the conference center, at the um, which the city's running with a bunch of agency partners uh, at the mustard seed uh, site uh, on the south side and their other facilities and at uh, the hope mission and hope missions overflow site which is set up at the commonwealth recreation center and so um, those are not uh, homes but they are roofs over everyone's head uh, which shows that it's possible Um, The next thing that we've done is worked with the federal government through the Rapid Housing Initiative and with some other existing city resources to bring uh, some hotels online, as we talked about, as bridge housing, um, and another project that was uh, coming online that was previously funded. So we've added additional units for people, and people come to those and then are transitioned to existing supportive housing. Um, And the the third thing that we've done Uh, is in the federal throne speech, we got the federal government to go from a previous commitment to reduce homelessness by half, which is where you start if you're not sure that you can really get this done. But Edmonton's shown by housing over 10,000 people uh, over the last decade plus uh, that we can do it and it works and that there is a credible pathway to zero. It just needs to be resourced. And so when the federal government uh, put the words a commitment to ending chronic homelessness in the throne speech, they upped their level of ambition for this country. And they upped it based uh, on the leadership and advocacy of uh, municipal leaders and housing sector partners, and particularly um, the, the work of the big city mayors, which I've been privileged to lead for the last several years. And, and, and based in no small part, and, and they've said this to us, on the trajectory and plans that they've seen out of Edmonton. Uh, so the federal government recognized and uh, our ambition, raised their level ambition to match ours, and have pumped uh, $1.3 billion into it since then. There's a few more billion to go, but we are going to save billions of dollars in healthcare and justice costs. We're not going to be policing the issue when we can put the permanent units together. Um, which will take more time, but instead of 10 years, you know, this could be months or a couple of years, depending on our level of ambition. And I will continue to press for, uh, because I think it's overdue, ensuring that every Edmontonian and every Canadian has uh, a roof over their head, because to not do so drives phenomenal costs today. It's a waste of money. Uh, It leads to social disorder issues, which are bad for business on Main Street. But most importantly, and and my best friend who uh, from junior high and high school spent 10 years uh, homeless himself, uh, it's personal for me. It's unfinished business. Have Uh, you told anybody that before? Yeah, yeah, I've talked about it a few times. but, uh, But shortly after I was elected to council 13 years ago, uh, and we'd, we'd kind of lost touch um, as, as his issues and his life changed, and, and we diverged. But, you know, I was walking to City Hall one day, uh, not long after my election, and I saw him homeless um, on 103rd Avenue. 
on the street slumped over and it broke my heart. And so when the 10 year plan to end homelessness came along, I thought, okay. And for me, there's a face to it, but any one of us, uh, with the right combination of economic crisis, pre predisposition to mental health challenges, addictions, challenges, uh, family breakdown could wind up in that situation. And so to think that we are better, that any one of us is better than people who are struggling that, that way is to lose our common humanity. And that's what's informed my work and my passion about this, uh, in addition to the strong public policy case for doing the right thing. Yeah. Mayor, I respect your time and your team's time. I want to make this the last question. I'm grateful that you've uh, allowed us to, to go into overtime here. Y- you care about systemic racism so much so uh, in our institutions, uh, community safety, police accountability, that you included it this morning in your bullet points, in your statement uh, about what your last year here as mayor of Edmonton is going to look like. Uh, the province, by way of Justice Minister Casey Madu, recently announcing that they're going to outlaw carding in Alberta. I've seen different opinions on the meaningfulness of that. Uh, I'm curious for, for your take on what has to happen for us to tackle systemic racism in a way that actually has a tangible effect on our community. And let me put it to you this way, because our viewing audience this morning that's watching a stream on YouTube Uh, Our listening audience that's listening uh, to the link while they work, while they travel, while they make breakfast or enjoy their coffee at home is is using the hashtag RealTalkRJ. And we're keeping an eye on that. And we encourage you to submit your questions. It's what Jason has done. And we'll make this our last question. Jason asks, looking back, Mayor, where has Edmonton come from and where can it go for our kids in 2020 and beyond as compared to 2013? Well, that's, there's two different questions in there, one about systemic racism policing, which I'd love to come back and talk to you some more about, perhaps uh, uh, with some of the folks who are doing this work through our Community Safety and Wellbeing Task Force. Um, and I, I, so let me, let, me, uh, let me put the two questions together, which is that I think Edmonton is now the kind of city that is ready to tackle questions like that and really honor their complexity. Um, so that is one of the things that is different is that you know you can look at separate issues like the economy versus public health or the economy versus the environment and um, it's very very easy for poor leaders to cast these things as at odds with each other but why we need city hall and the convening power not of local politicians to to figure this out for us but to bring community together industry experts civil servants and thoughtful elected officials from different perspectives philosophically and ideologically to come together is the power of convening community to solve complex problems to to talk about what does reconciliation look like in a big canadian city Uh, from a housing point of view, from a mental health point of view, from an economic development point of view, to look at um, issues like transitioning to a lower carbon future and instead of being angry that that's happening, saying how are we going to make the most of it? That's that's what good leadership looks like and City Hall is in a position and one of the most important things the mayor can do is convene those kinds of conversations. And we don't get them right all of the time, but I think that that's uh, I think we started to see that under Mayor Mandel, to, to give him credit. I, I think um, the conversations about ending homelessness that he helped to start and the conversations that he helped start about community safety. Uh, and then I've, I've worked to, to really raise the level of debate and in, in public uh, discourse in the city uh, around issues of energy and environment at a time where um, there's a lot of pressure to, you know, 
to, to, to play into the polarization. And so I think what's different is the city is comfortable not just having complex conversations with itself, but contributing um, more broadly in the province and nationally and even occasionally internationally on each of these fronts. People follow very closely what we're doing on housing from all around the world. People follow what we're doing on energy and environment from across the country and, and across the continent say, how can this energy city be talking about climate change constructively? And the answer is because we have to. And so I think our city can do that. And it's not, it's not because of any one person in any one job, including me. It's because our, our community has the capacity for that. Every community does. It just has to be unlocked. And I think that we've started to do that. But it'll fall to the next council and mayor to keep that going, hopefully. Mayor Don Iveson, on the heels of his announcement this morning, he will not seek re-election uh, next fall. Uh, our first ever guest here on episode one of Real Talk. That's always going to mean the world to me, Mayor. Likewise. I appreciate your service to this community. I've been proud uh, to support your vision. I've been proud to support the gutsy calls and the flags that you've planted here with regards to some of your priorities. Uh, when you have time today, you know, I encourage you to find a quiet moment and actually take some time and scroll through our hashtag and scroll through what people are saying because there's a lot of personal messages I know that can get lost in the fray, but, but I encourage you to reflect on every single one of them. These are people. These are your constituents. These are your fellow Edmontonians, and, and we appreciate what you're doing, and, and we'll watch with a keen eye. This is far from the last time you're going to be on this show, uh, how you spend this last year and, and the type of stamp that you put on your final year as mayor of Edmonton. Thanks, Ryan. I will do that. That's Mayor Don Iveson here on Real Talk. In just a moment, Dr. Lenora Saxinger, uh, right now, I, I wanted to let you know, as Mayor masks up and leaves, we're taking every precaution here in, in the Real Talk studio, and, and that includes bringing the majority of our guests in via Zoom or Skype. But we're still ensuring that sure surfaces are sanitized. We're making sure that everybody's wearing a mask. We're making sure that We've got plexiglass here between me and producer Sam, me and any guests that may join us here in studio. But but we wanted to, well, go to the next level. And that's why we're really excited to have the support of Clean Air Club. If you want to learn more about what they're doing when it comes to furnace filters, when's the last time you changed your furnace filter? You got to make sure you do it. Clean air, more important now than ever. It's on our radar now more than ever. But they also encouraged us in our consultation to use a portable room air purifier and we've got one running right now you can't hear it can you it's a beautiful piece of machinery now your hvac and your furnace systems are going to do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to air purification but in some parts of your office or your building or your studio the air can get stagnant and if people are gathering for long periods of time even if they're distanced uh, that air doesn't get circulated or cleaned we're using the Austin Air HM400. It doesn't cost an arm and a leg. If you'd like to learn more about what Clean Air Club can do to keep you and your family, your colleagues as safe as possible in these tenuous times, I encourage you to check them out. Just check out the sponsor link at ryanjesperson.com. Dr. Lenora Saxinger, in just a moment. Sam, let's take a look at the stories that are leading the headlines right now. Here's a quick look at the news. Well, you just heard it here first on Real Talk. Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson will not seek re-election. He says that he's going to work to deliver more housing and chronic homelessness, tackle systemic racism, 
and do what he can to attract new jobs and investment for the Edmonton region. If you know somebody that missed this interview, a reminder that you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast anywhere you get your podcast and you can share that interview as soon as we go off air. Canada's largest city, Toronto, locking down this morning. Quebec's cases are surging, but it's Alberta that's leading the headlines after a weekend that saw new records set. 1,584 new cases of COVID-19 in the province of Alberta, hundreds in hospital, at least 60 in ICU. We'll be talking about that in just a moment with Dr. Saxinger. Meantime, a COVID-19 vaccine being developed by the University of Oxford and AstraZeneca, a British pharmaceutical company, showing promising results. Professor Andrew Pollard says that with a 70% efficacy rate on average, the results show we, quote, have an effective vaccine that will save many lives. Let's find out what our next guest has to say about that. We're grateful that she has made time for us this morning. She's literally in the trenches, an infectious diseases specialist at the University of Alberta. She's also the co-chair of the Scientific Advisory Group for COVID-19 for Alberta's Emergency Coordination Center for COVID-19, and she's held that role since April. Dr. Lenora Saxinger, doctor, thank you for making time for us this morning. My sincere apologies to leave you in the bullpen for a few hours. I suspect that <laughs> that though that though you look right now bright-eyed, uh, you must be feeling the toll that this is no doubt taking on healthcare professionals across the province. How are you feeling this morning? A lot of us are feeling very anxious actually coming into the hospital these days. We're kind of in a calm before the storm phase, I think, um, where we know the case numbers are rising. We are expecting our hospitalization numbers to keep rising, but there's this thin veneer of normalcy going on right now, which uh, which is, you know, kind of unnerving um, because we really know that we have to get things set up for a surge. and the scale of the surge could actually be very significant, honestly. Doctor, you've you've been in the news for going on a year now. It seems almost every single week you've been making yourself available in the interest of public education. We've seen you on national news broadcasts. We've seen you uh, in columns calling for a circuit breaker. Uh, nobody is more aware of the toll that this pandemic is taking than a health professional like yourself, an infectious diseases doctor, I hate to give you credit for this because I suspect that you'd probably rather be wrong, but you called this. You gave interviews three weeks ago where you said that Alberta's COVID-19 numbers were about to triple, and now they have. As a matter of fact, since November 1st, they've doubled almost every single day. How are you actually feeling about the province that you call home and the records that we're setting over the weekend? Some people believe that this is entirely preventable and we're just not doing enough. Um, I, I think that I feel like this path has been walked in many countries and that we've seen it happen and that a lot of people think that there's an evidence-based way to approach it and we haven't really been able to get a lot of traction um, with making changes to the approach. I think because there's there's really profoundly significant division of opinion, I think, between the various risks that we're facing and I... I've really struggled with how to try to reconcile the, I think, misinformation-driven version of events um, with the science-driven version of events. And it's it's a challenge, I think, that we've not really quite seen before. Like, to me, the, the, the misinformation that's become a driving force in 
in the polarization of our approach and our polarization within our communities is almost as significant as the virus itself in terms of causing damage because it's really impairing our response. And that's, that's profoundly concerning. I mean, I'm an infectious diseases doctor. I'm not an information doctor. And yet I find myself trying to play that role. Um, it's, it's incredibly stressful time, I think. Do you think, I asked Mayor Ivison the same question. Let me ask you, as a medical professional, do you believe that the province of Alberta needs to lock down today? Yes, I do. I mean, like, just clearly, yes. The, um, the numbers right now tell us that we're actually missing a lot of the infections already. Our percent positivity is quite high. So at the moment, close to one in 10 people getting a COVID test actually have it. So we are seeing uh, a tip of the iceberg right now. And our hospital capacity in the province, I mean, we have a good healthcare system, but it runs lean. Our hospital capacity in the province, the normal number of beds is less than, would cover less than 0.2% of the population. And we're seeing that many people documented infected weekly right now. And the hospitals are already full. So it just doesn't add up to being something that can, can work. Like we will not be able to handle the influx. And by the evil magic of uh, you know the lag time between diagnosis, hospital presentation, ICU stays and death, and the magic, evil magic also of exponential growth, like there's there's no doubt about the situation we're in being very serious. And even if we act right now and have a very significant set of restrictions put into place, I guess the concerns are, will people abide by them appropriately? And the second thing is, you know, how bad is it going to get before it gets better? And I think those two questions weigh on my mind a lot, honestly. We need a perspective check. Uh and I know that you're well-equipped to deliver one. I want to put some numbers in front of those that are watching us right now live on YouTube. Uh, Sunday's numbers here in the province of Alberta. Dr. Saxinger, I know I don't need to tell you that there are 1,584 new cases. That's a single-day record. These are yesterday's numbers. That's 12,195 active cases as of yesterday in Alberta with 310 people in hospital, 60 people in ICU. I don't have to speculate that people are saying this because I'm seeing people say this on social media. 300 people in hospital out of a province of four and a half million, 60 in ICU. That's negligible, people are saying. Why is this a real problem? Well, we kind of touched on it earlier. Our overall hospital capacity only is about 8,000 beds total in the province. And those beds are actually already full with people with other conditions. Even if we add surge capacity, a bed in a hospital and a ventilator still need people to run them. And we're already seeing lots of places having problems getting routine staffing covered. Staff are being quarantined for exposures. They're sick. Um, staff are actually having to stay home with quarantined children. Um, the whole system is already stressed as we're entering into this. And I, I kind of feel like people are saying, well, you had all this time to prepare. But to be honest, short of doing a China-style build a hospital in a week, um, approach. I don't think the healthcare system ever thought that we were going to be used as a backstop. I always thought that we were going to try to control the infection before it became critical, mostly because we know that although many people have a nuisance illness, a significant number of people have a critical illness and a significant number of people die. And we do not have excellent tools to help those people. Supportive care, steroids can reduce the mortality rate to still very high if you need ICU care. 
And so at the end of the day, all of these cases are going to end up in some extra deaths um, because we did not prevent the cases. So uh, I think that we just have a real significant um, division between between what the healthcare is here for, um, and and I'm very concerned by that. I, you care about the population, and you're talking about your fellow Albertans. Uh, I want to put an image uh, in front of you, and, and Doctor, I apologize, we don't have a monitor in front of you, but but I think you know. When I say I want to put an image in front of you, you know the photo I'm going to show our viewing audience right now. It's this one out of the Peter Lougheed Center. This is Dr. Simon demers Marcel. He's an intensive care physician out of the Peter Lougheed Center. He's on his knees. He's, he's got his head in his hands, and he's on the phone. And he's talking to a family grieving the loss of a loved one, lost to COVID-19. The body language says a lot. How are you and your colleagues holding up with regards to the longer-term toll of this? And what do Albertans not know? What do we need to be talking about with regards to, you know, what it's going to take to sustain the efforts, the commitment, and the health of doctors, nurses, hospital personnel, cleaning staff, and everybody else that's going to work on the front lines every single day? You know, I look at that picture, and it it's hard because we know this is going to become more frequent. And the, the difficulty, I guess, is that in the spring, everyone was terrified together and everyone was locked down together. And we actually locked down so well, we didn't see a really tr like tremendous surge. I think that that actually resulted in people not really internalizing the significance of what's going on. And now we're seeing a real surge and it seems like no one cares anymore. But in healthcare, before we were sustained by adrenaline and um, and this you know feeling of unity, and now the adrenaline is gone. Now people are just exhausted because there has been a tremendous amount of extra work going on, all the way through for a lot of people trying to manage what we actually have had going on with COVID on top of our usual trying to catch up in healthcare. Um, so the adrenaline is gone, the sense of unity is gone. People are feeling attacked. People are feeling like no one believes um, the concerns. And there's, there's a tremendous level of stress. And I mean, people will keep showing up and the shifts will be covered as long as we can cover them. Um, and at the moment, it's, you know, at the moment, it's okay, but we see this wave coming. And it's, it's really dispiriting, honestly. Um, I, I think that the healthcare workforce will probably have effects from this for years, no matter how it goes from now forward. Um, I do know lots of people have mulled leaving healthcare already, um, and we haven't even hit the worst of it yet. Doctor, of, of all people, I saw uh, some audio of, of a recent meeting shared by a, a former National Hockey League enforcer. I, I thought it was kind of strange. You, you probably know who I'm going to talk about. Comments uh, from uh, Dr. Roger Hodkinson actually prompted a response by the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada a few days ago. Uh, the, the college writing on November 19th, they were made aware of statements regarding COVID-19 by a Royal College fellow, Dr. Hodkinson. Uh, essentially, I mean, if I can paraphrase without getting into it, calling this the greatest scam ever perpetrated on people, talking about politicians practicing health care as a total disaster, uh, talking about my words, not his, sheep, lemmings, walking around masked with no idea of the reality around COVID-19. Every physician that I've spoken with or corresponded with since has tried to create as much distance as possible between themselves and, and this physician. 
uh, without putting words in your mouth, what sort of a disservice do comments like that actually do to the public sentiment, public awareness, public knowledge around this pandemic? Well, I think people are very primed to hear what they want to hear. And there certainly are people who want to hear that this is not real, that it's not a hoax, that it's not a worry. And so that's profoundly dangerous. I actually think it's um, extremely concerning because it kind of neglects actually what is going on in the entire world right now. And it seems to be suggesting that somehow none of that is happening and none of that could ever happen here when all we have to do is look south of our own border and we have uh, states that have tenfold higher infection rates than we do right now that are using refrigerator trucks as morgues. And I, I think that that kind of break from reality is something that is really gonna undermine our ability to control this and to prevent excess deaths. And so, I mean, I, when I heard the content of that, I was just completely appalled, honestly. I, I think it's very much at variance with what any public health infectious diseases, virology, um, epidemiology person would say is the actual truth of what's happening right now. And, um, and the fact that it's gotten a lot of uptake tells us that, in fact, that's what people want to hear, but that's not what they need to hear. Doctor, in closing, and, and I, I so respect your time. I'm so grateful you've made time to speak with us this morning here on our first episode of Real Talk, because I, I know that there are very real uh, pulls and draws on on your energy and your expertise right now. And I want to let you get back to your top priority. But more and more headlines are surfacing around vaccines. And as uh, the evidence shows that we're potentially getting closer and closer to, yes, being months away, but still closer than we were before, to an effective vaccine, we're going to start talking more about compliance and vaccine hesitance. And I'm hearing from people that I know and care about, people that are smart, that some of them are saying, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but this one, I don't know. It seems like it's happening too quick. It seems like there's not enough research, that not enough time has passed. It seems like it's being rushed in and pushed on the public. What's your message to those that are tuned in right now, those that will be watching or listening to this later on vaccines? I actually am extremely optimistic about vaccines. I think that, you know, they are the light at the end of the tunnel. We have a, quite a tunnel in front of us, let's be honest, and we have to negotiate that well. Um, but so far, all of the vaccines that have gone through, you know, reasonable amounts of phase three data collection have shown themselves to be effective, which is thing one. Um, safe so far, which is thing two. And the reason that we have seen such an accelerated production of vaccines is because many of them are actually based on vaccines that had been started for SARS and MERS and other diseases where we could actually just take this viral sequence and plug it into the same already researched platform. So it's not starting from scratch. These are starting from a basis of solid research. So to me, the, the fact that we have such a explosive epidemic in many parts of the world has actually been the thing that has allowed us to cut short the time that's required to see if these things work. Usually we have to wait for a long time to see if vaccines work because we're waiting for people to be exposed and catch a natural disease. But right now there's lots of people exposed and catching COVID-19. So, uh, so far the actual process has followed the usual process very well. And there is going to be a bar of safety that is going to be higher than many other things we do in medicine for these vaccines to be released here. So as long as that data continues to be good, and as long as we're clear and transparent about the information about these, 
I think that people's concerns are just, you know, not recognizing the reasons why we're ahead on these vaccines. It's been an unprecedented scientific collaboration to get here. And everyone who's been working on them is equally at risk, as are their family members, of getting this infection. And so there's a lot of motivation driving people who've been doing the research as well. So I'm actually quite um, optimistic that when people see, as long as we continue to see good safety data, um, that will be okay. I, I really do. And most people actually, if you look at our data for other vaccine preventable diseases, the majority of people actually are um, recognizing what a benefit these are to public health. So I'm, I'm going to maintain my hope in that arena. And I think that the key will be clear and effective communication about the vaccine safety and the vaccine testing that has been done. Doctor, I don't know if or what you drink, uh, but if I ever see you out, uh, beers, wine, whatever is on me. Thank you so much, uh, not just for joining us this morning, obviously, but for the incredible work that you're doing. And, and please pass along our gratitude to your colleagues as you pass them in the hallways. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. That's Dr. Lenora Saxinger. Uh, she's uh, an infectious diseases specialist at the University of Alberta. Dr. Saxinger is also the co-chair of the Scientific Advisory Group for COVID-19 for Alberta's Emergency Coordination Center, and she's been in that role uh, since April and obviously knows what the hell she's talking about. Let's take a quick break. I want to introduce you uh, to some of the other people, groups, companies that are joining us on this journey. If, if you've known me for a while, you know that our family is excited to shop for our groceries at Friesen Brothers. Uh, we split our time between their beautiful Stony Plain store. I think in part because I love to tell people all you do is you head west on the Yellowhead from Edmonton and you take the exit at the Jesperson family farm. We also love their Fort Saskatchewan store. My wife drives out to Fort Saskatchewan probably once a week uh, because it's not your average grocery store. That, As a matter of fact, have you have you been to Friesen Brothers, Sam? I I have never been to Friesen Brothers. I will be shopping there because, like, Dude. to be, it would take a lot to get me to go to a destination grocery store. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I'll but tell I, you what. I I feel like they are they're they're worth the trip. It's it's unbelievable. They're, they they have the, their kitchen. They've got a team of Red Seal chefs. We don't have enough time for me to get into their beef short rib. <laughs> I'll do that some other day. But right now, I want to let you know it's going to be a different Christmas holiday and and for everybody. And Christmas is all about tradition. And whether your gathering is for two people or maybe your family, uh, your your unit, your, your family unit within the walls of your own home, six, seven, eight, ten people, uh, depending on the cut of your jib, Friesen Brothers team of Red Seal chefs is ready to take over the stress of preparing those holiday meals. Uh, fresh turkeys, Alberta-grown produce, their world-famous sourdough. Why not hand things over to the team at Friesen Brothers and their Red Seal chefs? You can find them in Fort Saskatchewan, Stony Plain, and they've got a beautiful store set to open in the south side of Edmonton. I also wanted to let you know that we are on the air today, thanks as well to the team at Westworld Computers. Uh, you can probably see, and, and, and we're going to keep adding cameras in this studio as more and more of you step up to support us by subscribing to our Patreon and subscribing to our YouTube channel and our podcasts but you can see in front of me, I've got a Mac PowerBook. Sam's on this beautiful iMac. This studio, the Real Talk Studio, Th this is this thing powered. is like a spaceship. It's like a spaceship. Oh man, you're enjoying is... being behind the controls. I... Oh, oh yeah. Well, here's the thing: uh, Westworld and its team has been in business for more than 40 years in Western Canada. It's a family-owned business. 
and they have personal relationships I know that they're really proud of with their customers. So whether it's a, a first time phone buyer or whether it's a creative services agency that's looking to top up its fleet with these spaceship computers that Sam's excited about, uh, they've got the team from sales to service all the way through independent and locally owned at Westworld Computers. If you're just joining us, it's great to have you here. I'm Ryan Jesperson. This is Real Talk, our first guest ever, and our first guest this morning, Edmonton's Mayor Don Iveson. Sam, you've, you've known Mayor Iveson casually uh, for quite some time. Uh, we won't get into all of the details, but you've watched his rise through, through sort of the municipal political landscape. What did you make of his announcement this morning? Were you surprised that he will not seek re-election, or did you see this one coming? Yeah, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know Mayor Iverson well. Um, we've run in some of the same circles. You know, we both, uh, we we both uh, worked for uh, Canadian University Press at one time. We've both been involved with Gateway, uh, so it's it's you know we we have some of the same, some of the shared pedigree there with that kind of stuff. And and I've I've really just sort of admired watching his career from a distance, and and you know just sort of like seeing the the vision and the path he's carved for the city. Uh, you know, to be totally honest, I. I'm not surprised, and I think that um, smart politicians know when to when to give it up. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, a multi-term counselor and then a two-term mayor he was, and and um, has really left a mark on this city, and and has left a mark on things. And I think it's I think it's healthy to have new blood in. I think uh, you know that that we have a, a a city that's that's kind of exhausted right now because we're going through this pandemic and that's just draining on everybody so um you know as as much as i i have like a personal admiration for mayor iveson i'm not surprised i i think that you know he's he's left a very good mark on this city and and you know as i said before smart people know when to move on real talk is that not everyone's a huge fan of every politician, right? Newsflash. I mean, you know, Senator Joe Biden becomes president-elect with, you know, a couple million more votes than President Donald Trump. Still more than 70 million people voted for President Donald Trump. You're going to see in a municipal election, I mean, a, a mayor that, that's able to take, you know, 55 or 60 or 70 percent of the vote wins with an overwhelming majority. But that still means that tens or Hundreds of thousands of other people don't see eye to eye with that politician. Uh, Sam, if you had to speculate right now who you think uh, would be the front runner to win the mayoral election next fall in the city of Edmonton, I want one name and one name only. Who do you think it might be? You're putting you're putting speculation on me, hey? Well, um, you better get ready for that, of buddy. The, okay, you want to you want to know uh, of the early candidates? I'm really impressed with Cheryl Watson. Cheryl Watson. Okay, we'll see. There's rumblings. There's rumblings that former Edmonton City Councilor Kim Crischel will be in the mix. Um, I know that his his family is currently uh, grieving uh, the loss of a loved one, and uh, our hearts and thoughts are with former Edmonton City Councilor, former federal minister, former MP out of Edmonton Millwoods, Amarjeet Sohi. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Amarjeet take a run at it, and quite frankly, I think if Amarjeet decides to run, I think he's going to win. I think we're going to see other names in the mix, and we'd love to hear from you. You can talk to this show anytime by sending us an email. The address you need to know about is talk 
at ryanjesperson.com. You can just go to our website, ryanjesperson.com, and click on the Talk to Us link. And, of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter as well using the hashtag RealTalkRJ. Let me get to – I want to introduce our listeners and our viewers this morning to Todd's Mechanical. Can, can you give me some, some sexy background here? Can you give me some fitting music so I can pump this guy's tires? I love the story of Todd's Mechanical. So, so here's the deal. This guy gets in touch with the show, I don't know, probably a week or so ago, right? A week or so ago. And, and, and he gets in touch with me and he says, hey, he says – we're an independently owned, relatively small operation. He says, I'm, I'm a little nervous to advertise on Real Talk because he suspects that they might get slammed with business. And I made him the promise that it's about to happen. So if you have a need to stay warm and dry this winter, but you're a little bit concerned about your plumbing infrastructure, you're going to want to give Todd's Mechanical a call. This guy, his story, relatable career in the oil field reinvents himself and and right now he's being recognized i mean look at his ratings online as edmonton's best plumber takes care of plumbing and heating needs whatever you need including furnace repairs the last thing you want is for your furnace to conk out in minus 38 while you scramble to get that taken care of for the best plumber in edmonton officially endorsed by real talk where we keep it real Call Todd's Mechanical at 780-499-7598. And if you missed the number, you can find all of our sponsors and the links to their websites under the sponsors page at ryanjesperson.com. We're expecting to hear from the province today. I mean, the premier, the health minister, they have to talk to us today, right? I know that where is Kenny has been trending and the premier's office has been pointing out that the premier's been self-isolating because a close contact tested positive for COVID-19. They say that's the protocol. But people, I think, still are wondering why Jason Kenny has not been ahead of this. In Ontario, the cases rise and there's Doug Ford, right? Even Brian Pallister. What about that dust up with Rosie Barton? Sam, I know that we're supposed to go off the air in two minutes, but we're calling the shots today, buddy. So let's extend the show for a few minutes because I want to get to this audio. Can you tee this you, up? You know we're, we're not actually a broadcaster. We can go on as long as we want. We can want. do whatever we want, Sam. We could be here all day. Uh, let's get to this. Uh, Rosemary Barton of the CBC in conversation with Manitoba's premier. Uh, did you hear this over the weekend? You, this is about as tense as it gets and kind of a strange take for a politician in the middle of an interview. But if you haven't heard it, Sam, can we roll this? Let's take a listen people died uh, in the past week than in the past seven yeah. and a half months. I, I, yeah. I Forgive me, but it doesn't sound like your plan worked over the course of the summer. Well, that's great, except that, uh, Rosemary, to be fair, you haven't come up with a single idea in this interview that would have made this plan work better. Premier, I, I, Premier, I am not an elected official. Premier, I am not an no, elected Rosemary, official. I'm asking Rosemary, you why you didn't Rosemary, move faster to protect the Rosemary, people of your province, sir. You haven't come up with anything says the elected leader of the province, the premier, to the television host, the political analyst, in the course of the interview. Now, now I understand that political leaders, medical professionals, business owners, and members of the general public are feeling the stress of this. We're feeling the impact of this, right? There are parents right now, maybe single parents right now, maybe, maybe entrepreneurs that are doing everything they can to keep their business afloat and, and maybe keep their employees 
having their lights on, having food on their tables as well, wondering what a, a lockdown might look like, wondering what a circuit breaker reset might look like, wondering what the economic landscape might look like. And I understand that the pressure on a mayor or a premier or an ICU doctor would be enormous right now, not to mention paramedics and firefighters and hospital administrators and cleaning staff and everybody else that's still going to work. You can tell that Brian Pallister is feeling the stress of case numbers rising in Manitoba. And I think Albertans want to know, with transparency, how Alberta's premier is feeling about it. I expect that today we will hear something from Jason Kenney. Whether he likes it or not, he needs to address the province and say something. Curiously, a couple of days ago, the premier made himself available for part of a Zoom call and I'm not trying to smear this around. I mean, this is just what is happening. The Canada India Foundation thanking Premier Jason Kenney for joining and sharing his vision and opportunity in Alberta. Looking forward to working very closely in advancing stronger Alberta India ties. Here's the Premier in that call. I would forgive you if you were led to believe that everything was perfect. With that smile on his face, the hashtag where is Kenny is trending nationally and Alberta's premier is tweeting about real estate values. He's tweeting about red tape reduction. He's talking about Alberta, India economic ties. No condolences to the families grieving the loss of loved ones. No real talk, so to speak, on what he's considering. No Availability from Alberta's health minister, aside from Zoom AGMs for United Conservative Constituency Association meetings. Where's the premier of Alberta? I expect that we'll be hearing from him today, like it or not. And I expect that there's going to be a plan that we'll have more to sink our teeth into in days to come. Before we sign off today, there's another presenting partner here a sponsor, a builder that's been with us since this was in the conceptual stage. And Sam, if you could give me some appropriate music to thank our friends at Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, we're going to leave you with this thought for the rest of your day. With all hell breaking loose, with COVID infections on the rise, and there's nothing funny about that, and I'm not making light of it, but with the unrest and the polarization and the division wouldn't it be nice to just grab yourself a dilly bar wouldn't it be nice to just go grab a blizzard and just take your mind off things for a while the team at Dairy Queen these are locally owned and operated stores there's six of them in Sherwood Park and Northwest Edmonton they reached out and they wondered if we thought that a partnership with Dairy Queen might be a nice fit and all we could ask them was if that was a rhetorical question so if takeout is going to be it, if online ordering or ordering by way of your favorite delivery app is where things are going for you right now, I want you to consider those that are owning and operating businesses, employing local people here in the Metro Edmonton region. Make sure you show your support to Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Well, there you have it. Episode one. It's out of the way. And we are so grateful to have had you participating in the show this morning 
I'm hearing rumblings and rumors that we've actually had respectful political dialogue unfold in the comments section of our YouTube channel. That's our mandate. It's what we vow to continue to provide here. We're going to take on issues that matter to you, and we're going to have real conversations about them. We're not going to worry about what the politicians or the corporations might think about what we have to say because we're untethered. The handcuffs are off. And if you want these conversations to continue, and I know that you do because you're right here with us now and you're telling us that, there are a few ways that you can join us on this journey. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can join us every morning live at 8.30 here from the Real Talk studio as we facilitate these conversations and bring this community together. You can subscribe right now to our podcast. Hey, make sure you ring the bell on YouTube too and tell your friends that might not be on social media that we're back on the air. And of course, if you'd like to go further, you can support us on Patreon. The more that you support us on Patreon, the more that we can offer you, the better our depth of coverage, the better the quality of our broadcast. But Sam Brooks, I made you a promise when you agreed to join me on this journey. I made you a promise that as soon as we got our Patreon up and running, that you'd get a raise. And I just took a look at our Patreon this morning, and I hate to make things awkward for you, Sam. Go ahead and switch yourself onto camera. Give these people a look. You you just got your haircut, didn't you? You just got your haircut, Sam. Hey, I there just, we go. My I mic's on now. I want to let go. you know that thanks to Real Talk Nation, thanks to the support on Patreon this morning, today you're getting your very first raise. That's uh, that Sam. Is, that is fantastic. Thanks for joining us this morning in the producer chair. Thanks for making sure <laughs> I'm we're happy on air. To, be here. to our web design and branding team, to our partners here, and to you, our audience. Thank you for being part of episode one. We'll talk to you again tomorrow right here at 830 on Real Talk.